Father, we thank you for this time in our service. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for looking into your word. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truths that you would have for us. Lord, we also pray for our nation and all the things that we're going through now, Lord, that you would help us, that you would um, help, help leaders to make the best decisions, that you would calm people down, and Lord, that you would help us to love one another and help us as Christians to influence those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, can you think of someone you know of whom you never ever question the faithfulness of the things that they say? The truthfulness of the things that they say. You never question the truth of what they're saying, that it is true. And it isn't so much that they're always exactly right on everything they say, on every fact, but just that you know for certain they're not trying to pull anything over your eyes. They're not even slightly trying to twist the facts. You know that they're just an honest, straightforward person. And that's the person you feel like you can put your full trust in, and you can believe anything that they say because they're not out to try to fool you. Now, on the other hand, perhaps you've known or have had to deal with people or some person who always ends you, uh, leaves you wondering, did they get that right? Was that truthful for what they said? Did it actually happen like that? And you know, I've noticed that different people, kind of according to their backgrounds, their work backgrounds or whatever, they have different names for people they feel like aren't telling the truth. Uh, my good friend who has worked on cars since he was 14, if he thinks somebody's not telling the truth, he calls them a used car salesman. Others may label an untrustworthy person, may just say, well, he's a politician. Others may say, well, I, he's just a news reporter or a salesman. And you know, as a kid growing up, some of the kids in my neighborhood, whenever they told me a story, I would often question most things they said in the story. So you know, you had these two types of people and probably everything in between. Do you feel like you are a person that people trust everything you say? Because as Christians and followers of Jesus, we don't want to have the reputation of being untrustworthy, do we? Even a little bit. We don't want to give Christ a bad name, and we don't want to give Christianity a bad name, and don't want a bad name for ourselves as far as being trustworthy. We would like to be fully trustworthy individuals, all of our words and actions. So there is this one verse in the New Testament book of James that speaks to this issue of truthfulness. And the reason that James brings it up in his epistle is because there was a practice that became common in his day, you know, his day, and this is the brother of Jesus, so in Jesus' day too, 
that people would use this practice, this technique, in order to hide the fact that they weren't being truthful and to build up their own image. So there was a lot of like hypocrisy in it. And it's in James chapter 5 and verse 12, but they did it in a way that's prob probably not real familiar to us. So in James chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, above all, brothers and sisters, kind of like first and foremost, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And that word condemned means falling under judgment, kind of like God will judge you for being that way that he's telling them not to be. Now, it says, do not swear, and I'm sure that most of us realize that he's not talking about curse words or anything of that sort. He's actually referring to swearing an oath to something. You know, like U.S. presidents do when they take the oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States, you know, at their inauguration. It's the way people, it's the way people would try to prove to you that what they're saying is true. Kind of like, I swear to God. You know, so they're taking these oaths. Now, why doesn't James want his people to swear an oath? And is it a bad idea for any of us to do or newly elected presidents to do? You know, some Christian groups feel that a couple of verses in the Bible, a few verses in the Bible, really prevent them from being able to take an oath in a courtroom where they're supposed to you know, put their hands in the Bible and they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And they say they can't because of this verse and a couple of others. And so courts, in fact, have uh, put in, for people who feel like it's against their religion, they'll allow them to make a statement of affirmation in order not to have to go against their religious convictions. But why is James saying it's wrong? Do not swear by, by heaven, earth, or anything else. Just say yes or no, or you'll come under God's judgment. Why does James say not to do it? Well, first of all, if you look at, at it broadly, if you look through the Bible, you find there are oaths taken. And I'm just going to name a couple of individuals, but... The Apostle Paul, and throughout his letters, there's seven times he swore an oath. I call God as my witness, that sort of thing. You know, to back up the truth of his claims. And you know who else took oaths in the Bible? Well, King David did. <clears throat> but God takes oaths in the Bible. In one letter, the, the letter to the Hebrews, God talks about he swears by himself seven different times. So oaths are taken in the Bible, but James is telling these Christians, don't do it. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth or anything else. 
Just say yes or no. Why is James so against it? Well, there's a reason that James is saying this. There's a background to the subject, this matter of swearing an oath to try to prove to somebody or show somebody that you're really telling the truth. And there are two times when Jesus talks to us that we have written down in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And they shed more light on this. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, and it's verses 33 through 37. And listen to what Jesus says about the way they were doing oaths or taking oaths back in his day, which is the same day as James, same time period. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. This is an old teaching that they had in their culture. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Well, doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that, does there? But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Sounds a lot like what James was saying, right? So he probably got it from his brother, his half-brother Jesus. Jesus was referring to the way they were swearing or taking oaths as they were talking with each other, as they were dealing with each other. And he even says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So he's talking about something that they are getting from Satan himself or according to the ways of Satan. But you see, he began... by saying, again, you, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. He begins by saying, uh, you have heard this teaching from long ago. And what, what they have heard was, you're supposed to keep your promises. You're supposed to keep your vows that you make to the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound bad, does it? sounds like a good thing. But then, as Jesus goes on, he says, but don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, uh, by earth, or by Jerusalem. And what he's saying is, for heaven is God's throne, the earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is his great city, the city of the great king. So you cannot use those things as collateral. They're not yours, they're God's. And then he says, don't even swear by your head. You can't even use your head as collateral. You have no control over it. You can't change one hair from black to white. You see, they were taking a teaching from old that was good, to fulfill your vows to the Lord, basically to keep your promises, don't say things you're not going to keep, and they were corrupting it, using it to their own advantage. They were actually using this in order to tell lies, to be dishonest, 
So both Jesus and James say, just give a simple yes or no. You've become very corrupt in the way that you're using these, these oaths. Speak the truth. Just be a person who is honest and speaks the truth, and you don't have to work so hard to try to convince others that you're telling the truth. And it isn't that the old commandment was bad. It was good. It was just that they had taken it and turned it into something corrupt, and they had manipulated it. They had turned it into something that they felt allowed them to lie. You know, years ago, I took a Bible customs and manners class <clears throat> from a man. This, this was a teacher who had been a missionary for 25 years in the Middle East. And he told us about this. <clears throat> and he said, people would come up and they would use all kinds of things to swear an oath. I swear by my mother's grave. I swear by the light above. I swear, you know, whatever. He said, whenever you heard somebody say that, you knew one thing was coming. What? A lie. <laughs> they were just trying to convince you at the beginning that, I swear this is true. But he said it always uh, came, came right before a lie. Now, <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 23, we have Jesus saying something else because the Pharisees had taken this practice and they had made a special game out of it. I mean, they had taken it to the nth degree. <clears throat> Is that 23? Okay, yeah, 23. 16 through 22. Jesus talks to the Pharisees. Woe to you blind guides. You say... If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. You know, you're not, that means you're not held to it. You're not held to your promise, your oath. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar... It means nothing. You're not held to that promise. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. You're held accountable by God. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. <clears throat> what he's saying is, no matter how you word it, you're responsible for your oaths. So the religious leaders had worked up a practice or a theology of swearing oaths whereby certain oaths were binding and certain ones were not. And so if they became skilled enough, which I'm sure they did, they could weasel out of any promises that they would make. And perhaps they would state these impressive oaths that would just get the attention of the crowds or whatever, and then they could build up their own image and then walk away never intending to keep those oaths. But Jesus tells them in this passage that if they swear by the altar, they are swearing 
by the altar and anything on it, and then so on. So he's basically saying that God is going to hold you to your promise no matter how you manipulate the system. It's sort of like you know children making promises and their fingers are crossed behind their backs. That's the religious leaders in Jesus' day. But in this instance, I guess they think they're fooling God. But it's really a matter of character, isn't it? Can you see now why the people did not respect the religious leaders? I mean, they did things like this. <clears throat> and, you know, it says in the Bible that when Jesus taught, he wasn't like the teachers, the teachers of the law. You know, when we were in western Kansas with the cattle ranchers and the <clears throat> uh, wheat farmers, I would hear stories of those who came out and homesteaded the land, the grandparents and the great-grandparents of the people that were in our church. And they talked about those times way back when they came out and just staked the claim. And one rancher was sort of lamenting that when his grandfather worked the land, and they had to work up land deals or share crops or you know whatever, whatever it was that they worked together. And they made an agreement. He said, that agreement was sealed by the shaking of a hand. And he says, you never had to worry about people keeping their words. And he was lamenting the fact that nowadays, you know, you have to get things signed in triplicate in, in order just, just to feel a little bit safe. Kind of sounds like a land long time ago and far away, doesn't it? <clears throat> well, James was saying that his to his people that as children of God, don't engage in falsehood. Don't use this common practice where you're, you're saying one thing, but you really mean another. Don't purposely lead down, people down a wrong pathway. I mean, can you imagine the corrupt religious leaders in Jesus' day that they worked up a whole system of saying things so they wouldn't have to be held accountable to the things they said? They would not have to honor the promises they made? That's why Jesus called them blind guides. Did they actually think they were fooling God? That God was falling for their twisting of the words and the meanings of the words. You know, I, I tend to think <clears throat> that when people use deception in their conversations or their dealings, if we do that, we're kind of operating under the mindset that doesn't really include the existence of God. And I think in our culture a lot, uh, people sometimes have this sense that there is some kind of a God out there, some kind of a deity, but he doesn't seem to have much interplay in our lives or in, in today's world. They don't really actually believe in the God of the Bible who watches over his creation, who gives good gifts, who hears prayers, who strengthens and helps people, and will one day sit as judge over mankind. There's not much of that today in our nation. And 
that is what I believe we are seeing in our American society. I believe we are seeing a nation that at its beginning, the foundation was laid with a strong belief in God. Even those that weren't Christians, you, hear, you see their quotes. And they had a strong belief in God as judge and creator. And they, they knew that there was a right and wrong, an ultimate right or wrong. And even the prayers that they wrote as they were going into war. But now you know, as a nation, we seem to be moving further and further away from a belief in God and in the Bible and even in the basic sense of right and wrong. I mean, we've flipped it on its head. I, when I first became a Christian and I saw those passages that said they call evil good and, and good evil, I, didn't, I couldn't think of hardly anything that, that was happening. Now, wow, it's happening, isn't it? Calling evil good and good evil. When we leave God out of the picture and then we replace him with our own man-made set of rules or narrative, we move toward corruption and we move toward foolishness. And it seems like we move toward utter foolishness. So you have these highly educated Jewish religious leaders that studied the scriptures, studied the scrolls, taught them and they took the, the words from the scriptures, twisted their meanings, and that led them to eventually, you know, when you, when you disrespect the scriptures like that, that eventually led them to crucify the holy and righteous Son of God, their only hope of salvation. That's where it ends up when you start going against the word of God. And they did that for earthly, temporary power and control and just to build up their images. Extremely temporary. Because you know now, those first century religious leaders who opposed Jesus, who attacked him at every, every turn, who refused to turn to him as their Messiah, they are now suffering eternal torment as they wait for the great white throne judgment. That's where it leads. When we push God out of our minds and just dive into making our earthly existence our top focus, when we put into this earth and all of its treasures, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our plans, all of our pleasures, we move further and further away from eternal reality. And then when we do that to a certain degree, we end up internally empty. It's walking by faith, isn't it? It's trusting in the word of God when others try to tear it down and say that it's not true. I heard a lady, <clears throat> I was hearing a little audio clip, and this lady was leading a, a group meeting, and they were talking about the Bible. And she says, it's good literature, but sorry to say, most of it isn't true. 
and they started asking her questions, the audience did. They said, King David? No. Never existed. Abraham? No. Never existed. Um, finally, somebody said, Jesus? And she said, yeah, there, there's evidence that he existed. So she just kind of threw away the whole thing as fiction. And I sat there and I thought, you know what? If you read this Bible a lot, there is so much negative press against the Jews. I mean, all the time, all through the Bible, how much they've sinned, how much God judged them. Who in the world would write like that if it was false? About their, I mean, all these Jews writing such bad things about their own people. And, and go to such great lengths and depth of people and genealogies. and I mean, who's going to work all that all through, you know, hundreds of years when it's all false? Unbelievable. Unbelievable what people will go, go the, the, the depths or the degree they will go to to try to get rid of the Bible. But James is telling them, not to use these oaths in a manipulative way. Don't try to build up your image by using false claims or to try to prove something false to somebody by making these you know, outlandish oaths. It's really a call to upright character. It's closely examining our words so that we are not being phony or manipulative. It's being someone who others see as totally trustworthy. Do you remember people, like I've said in the, at the beginning, people that you, you, you just think of them when you think of people speaking truth? You think, that person never bends on the truth, just always tells it like it is. James tells us not to give a false message that will be to our advantage. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Someone people can fully trust. And in that way, we represent Jesus Christ to others. We never have to face shame by someone confronting us that we lied to them. Now, <clears throat> I want to remind us as Christians of some of the vows that many of us take. And I think these are good vows. But you know, when you get baptized, you stand there before the congregation or whoever's there witnessing the baptism, and you're proclaiming before all the people that you now have come to Jesus Christ, and he is your Savior. And you have accepted his forgiveness for your sins. And now, from now on, I'm going to follow Jesus in my life. And that's what you're saying, and that's why you have all the witnesses. And you're taking that oath. And so we do that, don't we? Um, another vow we take <clears throat> are wedding vows. And we have witnesses there. So many on each side. And we're saying before these witnesses and everybody in the congregation, we're saying we're going to forsake all others and be faithful to my spouse until death do we part. That's an oath we take. And then, <clears throat> many of us 
have stood before our church and we've testified, we've, we've taken an oath that we're going to raise our children to follow the Lord. And so we, we do take serious vows, don't we? So vows aren't wrong. The uh, people were using them, they corrupted them in order to use them to their own advantage. So really the, the bottom line is, are we honest, trustworthy people? When people who know us see us, do they question our character? Or do they just trust that we're going to tell them the truth? And we're going to do what we say? When others hear our words, do they think, serious? Or do they just automatically believe what we say? Do we ever try to present a false image? Do we build ourselves up to impress others? You know, we appreciate it when others are real, don't we? In fact, we often think of those kind of people as special. They're just real people. And you know, uh, people's major complaint against the church, I think oftentimes it's unfounded, but they, they say that uh, people at church are phonies. Hypocrites. They act holy on Sundays and then let it all go on Mondays. And you know, actually I've told people who've asked about our church, I say, well, we're just a down-to-earth church. We're not here to perform. We're not here to impress. We're just looking into the Word of God and trying to encourage one another to live by the Word of God. You know, being real is a comfort to people. Being real really impresses people. Sometimes we try to impress people with, with falsehood, but it's being real that impresses people. So, instead of swearing by the heavenly luminaries or some famous person's grave, let's just say yes or no. Father, we thank you for your clear word and pray your help in keeping it. We pray in Jesus' name.